welcome back to the Socialist Shelf. This is part two of our Jurassic Park discussion. So if you haven't heard part one, you might want to go back and listen to that. No joke, I've recorded this like three times because I keep saying park one, but it's part one. It's Jurassic Park part one. So, uh, you know, a little behind the scenes there, a little extra bonus content for the real heads. So, uh, yeah, yeah, go listen to that episode or check out this episode. Uh, now's the time. Let's get back into Jurassic Park. Da 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 And, you know, and Malcolm's being kind of a hater, uh, correctly so. And is just saying, nah, like it's it's all gonna fall apart. And uh, of a, course, it um, is. It's a Frankenstein sort of um, sort of thing, isn't it? That yeah. um, that you know, you, there's only trouble to be had playing in God's domain. Absolutely, and um, and you know that is what's happening. They are playing God. And it takes you through the process. You know, there's the uh, doctor uh, who takes them through and shows their process for making the dinosaurs, and it's a uh, you know, once again, I greatly prefer the like DNA sh- animated DNA strand from the film, <laughs> dancing <laughs> around and doing it. Obviously, that that's that that that's just a fun scene. But you know, he talks about how he, we already explained the process of how he does that, and then they fill in the gaps that are broken with amphibian DNA, which of course ends up allowing the dinosaurs to uh, to uh, change their change their sex, which allows them to reproduce um, outside of the scientists' knowledge. Mm-hmm. But we don't know that yet. But that's just part of, you know, the Ian Malcolm prediction that life finds a way, that expands, that it uh, that it's going to find its way out and off. But, you know, seemingly the, the island's completely locked down. They have this amazing computer system designed by Dennis Nedry. They have um, this fantastic, uh, you know, this fantastic biological system that they're putting things together that they shouldn't be able to reproduce. They, uh, yes. They're separated. There's all these different reasons that it shouldn't work. And um, I love this. And I love this because like they have such supreme confidence in, um, in these specific parameters of, of, of their situation, not changing that, um, um, when they do find that the dinosaurs, as you say, have been um, changing sex as necessary and they've been breeding, um, the reveal is that, oh, our uh, sophisticated tracking program um, didn't catch this because we just never uh, bothered to count past like 268 or whatever. Yeah, it wasn't uh, even that it couldn't. Yeah. They actually instantly can, which is an interesting, interesting way. It's like it's not even that the program fails. Um, in fact, in the movie, it's more so that Dennis Nedry sabotages them, which happens to an extent in the book. But even without Nedry's sabotage, like the 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 it still falls apart, mm. you know, which is a the, which is a key difference, which I do, which I do like out of the book um, that, you know, the, uh, you know, Dennis Nedry speeds it up with his sort of betrayal. But uh, it certainly he certainly doesn't cause the root problems like, you know, the Raptors are getting off the island with or without this yes. you know um without this happening um unfortunately um but yeah so you know you've got all these people you've got uh it's um hammond's grandchildren who come in um and it's you know a boy and a girl they're not like super fleshed out you've got the kid who likes you got the kid who really likes uh dinosaurs the son what's his name um it's um so it's it's tim and it's lex and, tim and lex and, and she's like kind of a tomboy and likes like baseball is her character and well and this is interesting like it's so yeah what you described is true from the uh from the um from the film right and the book uh this surprised me at first like it's actually reversed right the the 
the girl is the younger one and mm-hmm. the and the boy is the older one right um and it's and yeah their interests are kind of reverse as well the girl's just you know kind of uh you know uh kind of a, a human-shaped blob yeah she likes baseball be. and yeah sort of that. yeah yeah that that was interesting to me like apparently like spielberg um reversed it for the film because the child actor that played the the um the child actor that played tim was one that uh, he was familiar with and really wanted to work with Hmm. okay okay and then yeah and then you have tim who is you know fascinated by dinosaurs one thing they changed in the movie that is also strange is uh dr grant in the movie says he doesn't like children and in the book he does uh in the book he likes children because he says they're the only ones who like are as interested as him as as him in dinosaurs which i found Mm -hmm. to be funny um and you know of course he has this like relationship with the kids where he has to take care of them because they're you know they get stranded after a t-rex attack yes um but yeah, they all they all are gonna get a tour of Jurassic Park. It's awesome. They're going around. They're they've they've got their little uh they've got little cars they're in that they they go on a they go on a line and it takes them through ride style and talks about the different animals. And you know, there is a problem. The power cuts out and uh they get attacked. The um and they uh get attacked by a T-Rex, basically. Uh that to to say it very quickly. Yeah, um, they get attacked by a T-Rex, they get split up. Um, Ellie and um and um the kid Grant and the kids go off as they do in the uh, film, right? And Ellie and Ellie and uh the and, lawyer. And, yeah, and uh general, yeah, and end up going back to the administrative center of the park. Yes. Um, and there's a you know, there's a whole bit where Ian Malcolm gets injured in the T-Rex attack. Um and um you know, and then they take him back and, you know, he spends the latter half, really the latter quarter of the novel um, on morphine and basically just like ranting about his theories, which are like probably my favorite part of the book. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, and then you at that point have the betrayal of Dennis Nedry, who, you know, he's like he's doing his master plan and his his plan is to escape um, briefly, take the dinosaur embryos and come back and no one's the wiser. But uh, to do that, he has to shut down some security systems briefly. But he makes a mistake in the pouring rain, gets lost, and gets killed by a dinosaur. Um, and so everything stays shut off. And Dennis Nedry is the guy who knows how to run the system. So everybody, all the administrators are sort of, uh, you know, tripping over themselves, trying to figure out what's what. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so they have moments of success and moments of failure as they try and get the park back online, um, which is, you know, a, a pretty large chunk of the middle of the novel. And then this is really where, to me, it just kind of falls off. I just don't have a lot of interest in the actual scenes of them running from dinosaurs and hiding from dinosaurs. And uh, just none of that really, um, what was that fascinating to me? I really liked the stuff about the making of the park and the, the integral workings of the park, maybe not yes. as much the actual specific computer stuff that was fine, but the like way it worked and talking about the labor and talking about the trenches and this, that, and the investors, like all that was very interesting to me. When they're running from the T-Rex for like the fifth time, it, it just kind of, it's, it's, you know. Crichton, Crichton himself, um, who uh, worked in the screenplay, said that, yeah, only about 10, 20% of the content of the book made it into the film. And it really fucking shows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's you know, and it's fine. You know, he's, it, it does feel, you do get, you know, the feel of, you know, how he's written sort of books that people read on planes just sort of page turner generic they're not super you know there no there's no moments in the prose that i felt to be like overwhelmingly fascinating like it's just not a book that uh 
spoke on any level to me that that like in any of its actual scenes any of the writing it just i never felt really swept up in the narrative mm-hmm. um i definitely didn't yeah which is not to, which is not to say that he's you know um i like his pro i like Crichton's prose better than uh jerry's jerry b jenkins oh sure story. sure it's much better than jerry b jenkins yeah because he has he has moments of wit like there's one really um i showed you this this uh, bit very early on um there's a bit where they're walking past a uh, big old warning sign that's like oh caution teratogenic substances uh danger radioactive isotopes and the and tim the young boy is like oh yeah teratogenic substances like it's things that make monsters and he was disappointed to hear uh you know the um the chaperone say oh you know never mind the signs they're just up for legal reasons everything's perfectly safe mm-hmm. which you know right there you're like okay so only a child would fall for the uh the idea that uh, everything's perfectly safe right right you right get from that <laughs> a child or john hammond yeah a child or john <laughs> hammond yeah but yeah but you're absolutely right like throughout the throughout the rest of the book like the um the prose the prose is fairly skimmable yeah um but they they all sort of you know they make their way back and several you know minor characters get killed off um as the the uh, dinosaurs attack and then you have this do you want to talk about this sort of ending action sequence do you have uh, anything to say about it I, I don't have a lot to say about it to be honest yeah yeah i don't you know it's 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 the what is missing, of course, is the uh, T Rex, right? Because like the the end, the denouement of the T Rex in the book is that um, uh, Muldoon. I love the hunter character Muldoon. Like uh-huh. he's very, very fun. He's very, very, he's much funnier in the book than in the film, right? Because in the film, you know, like he's the he's the ace in the hole. He's the master hunter from Kenya that kind of gets uh, um, killed off by the compies, right? Um, and in the book, like he's much more competent. He has m- many more opportunities to demonstrate his um, the fact that he's one of the only people who knows that it's going to go wrong. And right. you know, he's like, I told you so, Hammond. Mm-hmm. Um, he's much more capable. This, despite the fact that he spends the whole book like getting progressively drunker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. And like <laughs> driving drunk around and stuff. And it's like he's the one who asked for just he wanted just like a full like full military surplus equipment. Like he wanted yes. missile launchers. He wanted whatever, which of course it's, it ends up proving that they, they did need that equipment. And uh, yeah. that Hammond is always insisting, no, these things are too expensive. We can't expare it. You know, Hammond doesn't shed nearly as many tears over, you know, the migrant labor that gets killed um, or, um, you know, the, 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 you know, the, the, or not migrant labor, but Costa Rican labor, you know, to him, foreigners who yes. die on the project. Um but he, you know, every single time a dinosaur is in danger, or even tranquilized, like Hammond is is horrified. Yeah, um, and the books, like, this thing is worth so much money, you know. And of course, that is how that's how they be. That is how the, billionaires be. Yes, and the books that is, you know, and the books just like the book is at its strongest when you have somebody hyper competent like Muldoon, like calculating in his head how much tranquilizer you'd need to take out a Tyrannosaurus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the book's at its strongest when you have people with uh, that kind of expertise, like putting it into practice and mathing these things out. Sure. Um, and the flip side of that is some of my favorite sequences are when Hammond is, you know, justifying his, as you say, total, total lack of uh, regard for their advice, you know, and his mm-hmm. and his philosophy, which is, look, a man in my position who commands, you know, billions of dollars in capital um is not in the in the business of helping people is not in the business of of um investing in you know 
um, medicines and uh, other things that uh, you run into all kinds of red tape and government regulation with. No, what's what's totally unregulated? Um, a, a new form of entertainment that I can charge whatever I like for, you know? Yep. He even has a part. He says, we're going to bring we're going to bring joy to all the children of the world. Well, the rich ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, it is interesting. And he actually has you've made me think of a part where he's talking to uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Wu who's the chief doctor that, you know, had designed the scientist or the, the designed the, uh, the science labs and, and came up with the process to bring about these dinosaurs. And Wu is a very much Hammond's creature. He's very much a guy who was pulled out of school by Hammond, hired directly out of grad school. And there's a very interesting, um, you know, flashback that Dr. Wu has to when he was getting hired and where he said Hammond was like, well, what do you want to do? And he says, oh, I want to work at a university. And he says, no, you don't. You don't want to work at a university. You don't want to work in some government lab. He says, you don't want to do research. He says, because that's old hat. He says, that's completely outdated. Um, he says, the future is in private, you know, you know, private enterprise. And he says, Thinks about, think about it. He goes, if you work in the university, you're going to have to apply for permits. If you work mm-hmm. in the university, you're going to have to work with uh, other people. You know, you're not going to be able to execute your vision. You're going to have to, you know, uh, be collaborative. You're going to have to have peer reviews, you know, the stuff that slows you down. And, you know, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, and there is a to an extent there is, you know, something to that in the sense that, yeah, there are more checks um, in, you know, government research positions and, uh, you know, um, in, in, in that sort of thing and more peer reviewed stuff. But of course, the counter side of that is, yeah, because look what happens when there's no oh, regulation. Yeah. Because you make a T Rex and it kills like twenty people. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and you're and you're and even before that, like your frame of reference for what he's saying is like very early on in the book, like uh, Biosyn, InGen's rival, like. Um, the way that this uh, rival company is introduced is, uh, oh yeah, there was a big kerfuffle because, um, they accidentally almost, uh, released a, uh, an airborne form of rabies in Chile. Right. Yeah. And it was the interesting. Thing. They had Biosyn there. You even have a scene with their board of directors yes. where, uh, where you have, I forget the guy's name, but this guy who basically oversees corporate espionage is basically Dodson. his job. Yeah. Yeah. And he's just talking to them, the board of directors. And he says, you don't have to sign off on anything. Just let me know if you want me to make this happen. Mm-hmm. And they're, and he's like, you know, it'll all be perfectly above board. And every there's just kind of quiet consent as this board of directors, you know, presumably upstanding gentlemen who would never agree to something like that. You know, maybe, you know, uh, you know, one, uh, one thinks of, you know, people who are maybe socially conscious, maybe they, do, they donate money, this, that, and the other. Um, and they want to keep their clan hands clean. They want to have their, you know, liberal sensibilities, uh, kept, uh, kept intact, but they have this other guy who's able to do the direct application and they don't have to say anything because that's the direction the money pushes. Um, and the interesting thing is, of course, there is no counterforce to this because there's the two companies in competition and they're both equally bad. Right. Um, neither side is pursuing anything good. Um, you know, um, and you have, you know, the Hammond character who thinks he's superior um, and he thinks he's better and he thinks he's doing something good. Like he has this genuine view of himself um, in this this high minded way. It reminds me of um, what is what is it that the so many of the uh, crypto like billionaires talk about? Um, um, the blockchain? Uh, a, no, no, no. Effective altruism as the, the, this, you you you. you um, Familiar with the concept of effective altruism? I'm not. Okay. So yeah, it's um 
essentially, um, effect, essentially effective altruism is a philosophical belief that um, it, that there is there the long term is the most important thing. So one has to think of things in long periods of time. And so money should be acquired and spent and, and altruism should be done with the intent of helping the species in the long term. And you might say, what's wrong with that? When mm-hmm. they say long term, they're talking about saving humanity from the sun exploding. Right. <laughs> and so the the ideology further posits that to do that, you're going to need a class of people uh, who have acquired enough wealth and power to do something about such a huge task. And therefore, all things in pursuit of that are therefore morally justified. That, that sounds is, like the divine right of kings with extra steps. Yes, like lamer divine right of kings. Um, <laughs> much lamer because it leads to like crypto. And, you know, that was like a big thing Sam Bankman fried or freed believed. I call him Sam Bankman fraud, but, you know, uh, <laughs> and, you know, that see how that worked out for him. Uh, but my, my, it sounds a lot like that. Like he has this mindset that this sort of Silicon Valley type of billionaire believes mm-hmm. of this, of this, this, this high minded ideal and the other people don't get it. You know, it's very Ayn Rand. It's very, you know, that kind of, that kind of thing. This episode, and, by the way, was recorded in the midst of the, uh, of the second great banking co- uh, collapse. So if you're listening yeah. to this in a time where we don't lo- use uh, money anymore, um, that's the, that's that, uh, that's that stuff that you traded before you started having to use uh, toilet paper and bullets as currency. <laughs> exactly. It does seem, it does seem to be uh, on that path, but yeah, exactly. So that is, <laughs> That that is that is really what we're looking at. Looking at, um, and this guy Hammond, and you know, believes in the project wholeheartedly um, in a way that I think maybe his rivals maybe don't believe in themselves in the same way. So they, you do see these the cynic versus the actual believer, but they have similar outcomes. Yeah, and he, um, and that's what makes it so cathartic in the end because. Um, I skipped, yes. over, I skipped over what happened to the Tyrannosaurus. It's effectively tranquilized. It's taken out of the game. Um, shortly after... I mean, they all die. Yeah, they all die uh, eventually. Um, yeah. But shortly after... Um, shortly after before the uh, Great Escape from the island is finally affected, um, Hammond manages to uh, manages to slip and fall um, as a result <laughs> of... This is funny. Like, the oh, kids... The kids find this um, once they get back to the administrative center, uh, the kids find this um, this uh, basically like soundboard of like mm-hmm. uh, dinosaur sounds. And they're making a, a T-Rex sound to try and scare away uh, some other dinosaurs. And it's that that startles Hammond and makes him fall down a hill and uh, get a really gnarly, uh, gnarly uh, fracture. Mm hmm. Yeah, one imagines like, you know, they could have just as easily pushed a button that did like an air horn, like da, 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 or something like that. Or Yeah, but then uh, it wouldn't but, have been a they, T-Rex sound. That, that would have been, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's just like, you know, they're playing with it. They're them playing with the air horn is what ends up knocking him down the hill. And then things go poorly for him. Yeah. Oh, they go very poorly for him. They go finally poorly for him because he gets set upon by a pack of uh, uh, Procomp Sygnathus or Procomp. Yeah. Pro- Pro Compsignathus, however you pronounce it. Compies. Um, yeah, the Compies. You know, the the tiny little uh the tiny little green dudes that you shoot in the uh, Jurassic Park arcade game, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he gets he gets swarmed because he's considered a uh, a uh, uh, you know weak crippled prey, and uh, yeah, eaten alive by uh, his own creations, or rather, you know, his uh, the creations that he paid to create. Yep, yep. And uh, interestingly enough, he even has this moment that is actually kind of like 
scary where he thinks compies are scavengers they only kill they only kill uh, or eat the dead and and he thinks wounded animals mm. <laughs> it's like kind of scary because mm. he realizes oh i'm the wounded animal um and you know and then he gets bitten by them and he passes away kind of blissfully because the poison is uh the poison is sort of a sedative um oh, so he so gets great. he he actually passes away thinking Ian er, was wrong and actually Jurassic Park was a great idea and I was right and I'm you know going on to my eternal reward or whatever. Yes, you know, holy, this... holy unrepentance. Yeah, no, there is there is no there is nothing else in his brain. He is completely, you know, fried his own mind. And in fact, while we're on the subject of him, um I might as well go ahead and read my favorite quote from the novel. Oh yes. Um though we haven't quite finished summarizing the plot, we're pretty close. So I'll go ahead and do this. This is um He's talking, and at this point, like the project has thoroughly failed. Like people have died, um, dinosaurs are out. They've proven that they have uh, in mass been procreating off the radar. Dennis Nedry is dead. They don't have control of their computer systems. I mean, like at this point, it is beyond all deniability that Jurassic Park is a failed project. Mm. Like he should be thinking of nothing but escape. But of course, he's monologuing to his employees, um, and he's talking. Uh, this is on page 200. He's eating ice cream and talking to his one of his employees, uh, uh, Henry Wu. Um, and he says, and this is kind of a long uh, monologue from him, sure. but I think it really gets inside his head. He says, if you were to start a bioengineering company, Henry, what would you do? Would you make products to help mankind to fight illness and disease? Dear me, no. That's a terrible idea. A very poor use of new technology. Yet you'll remember the original genetic engineering companies like Genetech and Celtus uh, were all started to make pharmaceuticals, new drugs for mankind, noble, noble purpose. Unfortunately, drugs face all kinds of barriers. FDA testing alone takes five to eight years, if you're lucky. Even worse, there are forces at work in the marketplace. Suppose you make a miracle drug for cancer or heart disease, as Genetech did. Suppose you now want to charge $1,000 or $2,000 a dose. You might imagine that it is your privilege. After all, you invented the drug. You paid to develop and test it. You should be able to charge whatever you wish. But do you really think that the government will let you do that? No, Henry, they will not. Sick people aren't going to pay $1,000 a dose for needed medication. They won't be grateful. They'll be outraged. Blue Cross isn't going to pay it. They'll scream highway robbery. So something will happen. Your patent application will be denied. Your permits will be delayed. Something will force you to see reason and to sell your drug at a lower cost. From a business standpoint, that makes helping mankind a very risky business. Personally, I would never help mankind. And that's the end of the quote. Great. Uh, Great. Very, very Bioshock. Yeah, you know, he's very, yeah, very much Bioshock. And it's like, you can see how he's thinking in here. And obviously the flaws in his logic are obvious to anybody with, uh, you know, a soul. But, uh, <laughs> but, you know, let's let's get into it a little bit. He's, you know, obviously, first of all, talking about how, you know, the government keeps him from helping mankind. Note how he talks about I, you know, I or you make the drug. He's not mm. talking about the people who made the drug, right? He's not talking about, or, or he's not talking about Henry Wu, who designed the technology to bring back dinosaurs. He's talking about the venture capitalist who funded it, right? Um, he's saying, well, what if I want to charge $2,000 a dose for a life-changing drug? Why isn't that my prerogative? I created it. And it's like, first of all, 
that's terrible. Second of all, no, you didn't create it. Um, he doesn't have that conception in his head that he is not the one doing Jurassic Park. He is not the one making Jurassic Park, right? Um, the only things he do does in Jurassic Park is provide the money and say no to people when they come up with ideas for how they might actually keep this thing from going off the rails. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's, you know, so up his own ass about it. He is, yes, the, the sheer arrogance of it is is just staggering, especially because like he the, the the paragraph break um, at the very end of the section is, um, you know, they, they they land on a figure of, um, oh, you know, we'll we'll open Jurassic Park Japan, we'll open Jurassic Park Europe, and we're going to score like 20 billion dollars a year from these uh, enterprises. And yeah. Hammond says, yeah, that's speaking conservatively. There's no reason to speculate wildly. You know, there's there's no there's no there's no room for speculation and there's no room for uncertainty there's no room for you know oh maybe this is um maybe we should approach this carefully you know there's no there's no need for speculation mm-hmm. because in Hammond's head as you say you know he's got it all figured out like he's you know right. there's no way it could possibly go wrong mm-hmm. he though, you know go wrong. though again we come back to he didn't do anything like he yep. all he did was you know spend money yeah uh, it's it's fascinating. Um, and it really allows it to nail that. So it nails that. And it, you know, obviously it has his problems with government. Um, you know, it has his uh, this, that and the other. Um, and it's interesting. I mean, you know, we don't know what Hammond's politics are, but I'm sure he's some kind of libertarian. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm also sure uh, if Hammond survived Jurassic Park and he uh, lost everything, he would be begging for a bailout as uh, it's currently happening, um, you know, um, <laughs> with the Silicon Valley Bank. Um, oh, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And has happened time and time and time again. Um, you know, and in the movie, he does survive. And actually, he's a much more sympathetic character in the movie. Um, he uh, but it is pretty cathartic to see him uh, yeah, to see him die. Yeah, yes. he's, a, he's a much more sympathetic character in the movie because he actually, um, you know, he actually does want to, to entertain, entertain children. You know? you know, he doesn't want to charge a lot of money. It's actually the the, the lawyer who's the greedy mm-hmm. guy. Um, and yeah. he was, he's played by. Um, who plays him? In the, uh, in the movie? David Attenborough or one of the Attenboroughs. Um, um, yeah, regardless. Yeah. yeah Rich, Richard Attenborough. Richard uh, Attenborough, and he's yeah. fan, he's fantastic in the movie. And I love, I will say the detail they had in the movie of him having the cane with the, uh, the mosquito trapped in Amber as the hilt of the cane. Super cool. That's really, brilliant. Yes. A lot, a lot. The, the, the swag is incredible in this. Yes. hundred percent. Um, when I'm in, I, when in, in like 40 years, you know, he's, he's somebody I would cosplay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, but yeah, so uh, John Hammond is to me the, uh, you know, that one side of things that he's sort of the capitalist side of this and forms that and the other side of the other more interesting characters, Ian Malcolm. Um, do you want to go ahead and do your favorite quote or should we finish out the summary of the plot? No, I think, I think it's, um, I think this dovetails pretty nicely into my favorite quote from, go uh, for it. from Ian Malcolm. So he's, he's, as we said, he spends the, the latter like third of the book basically uh, slowly dying of, uh, of tyrannosaurism. Yes. Of, of he getting, getting, yeah, yes. getting tyrannosaurid and then sort of just fading out on in a morphine spiral. Yes. Yes. And he, um, and this is what, and this is where we see a real kind of, of disconnect here, like where, um, where, because Crichton gets so close to, you know, a class analysis here, right? He gets so close. Mm-hmm. I mean, obvious, obviously he identifies the uh, the irresponsible billionaire as the, um, as the you know, root of all this. Right. But, um, and he um, he discusses this a lot through uh, Malcolm. But Malcolm's, Malcolm's almost there, but like not quite. And, and yeah. you'll see why. Like he's, so he doesn't think, he, he doesn't think much of, um, you know, the park administrator Arnold. He doesn't think much of Henry Wu, the geneticist. 
because he he they have uh what he calls thin intelligence right they see mm-hmm. their immediate situation they think narrowly um they don't see like the consequences of these actions um and ellie asks him oh don't you think it's just human nature and malcolm mm-hmm. says correctly you know god no that's like saying scrambled eggs and bacon for breakfast is human nature it's nothing of the sort uniquely western training much of the rest of the world is nauseated by the thought of it Right. And this is where his uh, this is where the quote from the film comes from, that they never stop to ask if they should do something. You know, they uh, they um, you know, they're just convenient with they're they're just concerned with whether they can. Right. Yeah. And it's um, so, yes, if if we skip ahead a little bit here, like my favorite, my I'll get into the context around it. But my favorite quote here is this. Um, Get rid of the intelligent ones is Malcolm's answer. Take them out of power um ellie comes back with well but then we lose all the advances what advances the number of hours women devote to housework has not changed since 1930 despite all the advances all the vacuum cleaners washer dryers trash compactors garbage disposals wash and wear fabrics why does it still take as long to clean the house as it did in 1930 because there haven't been any advances not really 30,000 years ago, when men were doing cave paintings at Lascaux, they worked 20 hours a week to provide themselves with food and shelter and clothing. The rest of the time, they could play or sleep or do whatever they wanted, and they lived in a natural world with clean air, clean water, beautiful trees, sunsets. Think about it. 20 year, twenty hours a week, 30,000 years ago. Ellie said, do you want to turn back the clock? No, Malcolm said, because he's not an anprim, right? I want people uh-huh. to wake up. We've had 400 years of modern science, and we ought to know by now what it's good for and what it's not good for. It's time for a change. Before we destroy the planet, she said. He sighed and closed his eyes. Oh, dear, he said. That's the last thing I would worry about. Right, so he's he, he stumbles on, uh, not stumbles on, you know, he correctly makes the analysis that, like, there have been quantitative changes Right. Mm-hmm. In how we in how we approach our the reproduction of society, the reproduction of our labor. There hasn't been qualitative changes in terms of, um, you know, labor relations, in terms of how it's uh, how it's um, uh, compensated or not compensated. Right. People have yet to truly own the uh, the products of their labor. Right. Right. Um, but he really doesn't have, you know. um you know, and, and you can get into the ethical debate here and there, but like he focuses, I think, a little over much on um, on, you know, on, on the scientists. Right. Because earlier in earlier in this little exchange, he's like, look, you know, science is an aggressive, penetrative act. It takes big equipment. It changes the world afterward. Uh, he describes discovery actually as like a rape of the natural world. Yeah. Right? Because because scientists, you know, it's it's this weird... leave so much destruction. That's that. Right. Yeah. And, it, and, you know, certainly, certainly there's some, something to be said about, you know, there having to be a responsible and, um, you know, a responsible and uh, environmentally conscious um, approach to making these kinds of discoveries, right? Um, I just think he's not, you know, uh, you know, you think about Henry Wu, right? You think about Arnold, you think about Muldoon, right? These professionals that... Um, that Hammond hires from around the world because they have the opportunity to put their expertise to use in something genuinely innovative, in something genuinely new, and lest we forget something that will keep them in the money. And right, keep- a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and you know, just 
um, not even out of greed, you know, just out of stability, just out of freedom to pursue their passions, what they've, you know, spent their whole lives developing themselves to be. So, you know, it's a little bit short-sighted to me to, um, you know, to really criticize the scientists here for um, for responding how um, to a sudden to a sudden shift in their uh, material conditions, right? Sure. Right. Because it's because it's because, again, you know, the the proximate cause of them collaborating on this on this uh, project is the, you know, the promise of stability. Right. And it's and it's the the existence of of capital in this uh, private source uh, directing them to that collaboration. That's true. Um, I mean, I think you could you can get into like people like Ed Regis maybe having some blame for some like very literal like bad things that happen. Oh, 100 percent. But the general overarching, the fact that they came to work here, yeah, that that, that is, you know, they, they didn't come into this with this this idea of, you know, these 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 bad ideas. And in fact, they had very positive most of them ideas, or if, if nothing else, you know, you know, neutral ideas that are just tied to the concept of discovery. I wanted to say really quickly, you were talking about Malcolm not really having a a, a, a solution, sort of, and it is actually interesting. He later on in that same sort of monologue, I mean, like a page and a half later uh ellie asks so what will happen and malcolm just says a change and then she says what kind of change and he says all major changes are like death you can't see to the other side until you were there um and it's kind of like so he doesn't really have a a sort of knowing what's going to happen but he does have this skepticism about science as this uh, as it as a framework with which to understand the world like he talks for you know a whole page about unpredictability and how we're at the end of the scientific era and science like outmoded systems destroys itself. He almost seems like he's talking about capitalism, um, not just almost, like, science. Right? Like he does, he's not, I'm not saying he is, but like he has moments when he talks about like, oh, well, we have all this productive power and we have no idea with what to do with it. And it was very productive for a long time, but now it's, you know, turning in on itself and it's destructive. And, uh, you know, who knows where we go next? And we've, uh, you know, We've we've just done so much and we just do and do and do like it does sound, uh, you know, when he talks about like there was an old order for centuries and there's a new order. And, you know, the way he talks about it, the timeline he gives of for centuries, we had an order of uh, superstition and, and and, you know, he clearly thinks like religion is superstition, you know, that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. this concept of the spiritual or, or, or whatnot. And then he has, but then we have a translation to an era of science when that falls in on itself. And it almost tracks with the fall of like the medieval feudal order or the feudal order to the the rise of capitalism. Like his, his timelines almost go perfectly like that. And it is interesting, like, you know, hearing his critique of the world as it is. And I'm not saying he's making necessarily even an anti-capitalist critique, but you can sort of see the ridges, the outline of that there and you know when he's talking about his theory of how things have to change you can see the outline of a sort of dialectic going on there it's not it's not he's not doing dialect like marx's dialectics here but you can see the outline of his like concept of like things you know uh smashing into things and making a synthesis and how you know there are stages of history and things must shift but of course he seems to have a lot less belief in basic agency then you know maybe you or I would have like or the idea that we can sort of self-consciously um act upon these shifting paradigms in the world which is of course the whole concept behind you know marxist dialectics is that we can like bring about a new world but it'll be through this understanding of how the world moves whereas malcolm's like yeah i guess we're going to see 
you know? Yeah. And, you know, and again, it's, it's, it's so tantalizingly close. It's almost there. Cause like, he's not, you you, you don't just, you, you wouldn't describe Malcolm as an outright doomer, right? No, no. Because you skip, you skip, um, you skip a little further on. Um, yeah, here we go. Um, uh, what are you saying? We shouldn't care about the environment? No, of course not. Then what? Uh, let's be clear, Malcolm says. The planet is not in jeopardy. We are in jeopardy. We haven't got the power to destroy the planet or to save it, but we might have the power to save ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that's. I mean, I. You read the book. I think that's worth. I think that's worth the price of admission. Sure. I mean, call. We'll call out Malcolm a little bit because he stole that from a George Carlin bit. Oh, but, uh, did he really? <laughs> um. But, you know, he has one of those bits where he's like, no, we're not. He's like, the planet's not in danger. We're in danger. Oh, yeah. people, you know, he, he has a whole like whatever. Uh, and then he does the whole George Carlin. They say, save the whale, save the snails. Like they do the whole, you know, his whole <laughs> thing, you know, uh, look it up. It's it's funny bit. Um, but, um, yeah, no, it's it's very it's a similar it's a similar vein to that. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And it is true. Um it is funny, you know, when we talk about, you know, it, despite the climate sort of skepticism of the author, there is like a lot of, you know, climate metaphors here. You have humans acting on their environment, you know, in this case, not a small scale, but an island size scale to change it. And things happen unpre- in unpredictable ways. You know, in this case, there is a active attempt to control the world and there are unforeseen consequences because life finds a way because complicated systems are gasp complicated and Mm -hmm. a little miscalculation a little thing here a little disgruntled employee there sends the whole thing spiraling off into space um and it hurts the humans you know and in the end it it hurts people it doesn't end life on earth it doesn't destroy the earth it doesn't keep new life from emerging uh but it certainly is bad for humanity um and, you know, even this novel, I mean, we, we said we were going to get to the end. There's not much left. Really, they escape the island, those that survive, and the Costa Rican uh, Air Force just bombs the hell out of the place, and presumably killing everything on the island, though I think they minor, minor nitpick. The Co- Costa Rica doesn't have an Air Force. Um, they have a gendarmerie, you know, they have civil uh, police and whatnot, but, you know, they have a they have a mutual defense. They, they have a defense treaty with the, the U.S. and the U.K. They don't need an uh, Air Force, but, you know. Well, whoever it is does bomb it. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no, in, yeah. In, the, in the book, in the book, they do have an air force. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the book, they have an air force, and in the book, they uh, they they bomb the island. And I think he kind of, I haven't read the sequel, but I think he sort of retcons in the sequel that everything on the island died. I'm not, I'm not certain. He also retcons Malcolm dying at the end in the oh, sequel. Yeah. Yeah, um, like it's explicitly stated in the book that uh, you know the the Costa Rican uh, military doesn't let them back on the island to get Malcolm's remains so they can bury him. But in the Lost World, he's just like, "What's up, guys?" Yeah, he's actually the primary protagonist of the Lost World, uh, <laughs> uh, which is kind of makes me want to read it because I like him a lot. Uh, yeah, you know, like despite uh, maybe the, one of these days, despite the retcon, you know. But yeah, um, it, it and, and it kind of ends with them just sort of being stuck in Costa Rica because their government's not letting them leave because they're like, hey, this is wild. And also, we're pretty sure some of these dinosaurs got um, got like onto our shores. I mean, we know the compies made it and we know the velociraptors were in the middle of a migratory process to try and get off the island. So, you know, no telling. Um, and, you know, disclosure, I'm not really sure what happens in the sequel novel, so I'm not certain myself um exactly oh, what's going on lost world um i've not seen the movie either i've only seen the first movie 
I've so seen it. I haven't. I, I, it's been a long time since I saw this second movie, um, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't, I don't really remember it all that well. But um, the dinosaurs get brought to um, is it San Francisco or San Diego? It's 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 some city in um, in California that they get loose in. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but yeah, so that that's kind of how it you know concludes. Um, and it's it's a bummer because there are some like sweet moments with the dinosaurs, like the, the baby ones especially. Um, and it's like bummer. The dinosaurs, you know, at the end of the day, they were just kind of doing their thing. They are uh, the dinosaurs are victims in this scenario for the yeah. most part. They, Even- they they filmed they filmed that bit with uh, with the little girl um riding on the uh, baby uh, triceratops, but ultimately that was cut from the movie. Mm. I wonder why in the movie they don't have the bombing at the end because they that's not in the movie. Yeah, it just well, and that's the thing. Like the both the movie and the book just kind of end, you know. Mm-hmm. Like with the movie with slightly less closure or closure in a slightly different way than the book, right? Because they're just flying away from the from the uh, island, right? And they see the migratory bird flying, and they're like, "Okay, you are back in the real world," right? Well, kind of, but I also, I mean, I maybe disagree a little bit because I think the closure of the movie is not them flying away. It's in the movie. Uh, Dr. Grant says to Hammond, I unfortunately cannot recommend your island. And, and he says, says, neither can I. I. Yes. I think that's the closure of the movie, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's like the arc of the movie is they escape and Jurassic Park as a concept is supposedly dead. Um, it, so I think the movie actually has a little more closure than the book does uh, in that sense. Uh, but I you know. I see what you're, you're, what you're saying makes sense, though. I, I do wonder why they didn't bomb it at the end. I mean, there's all it's a movie that might have literally just been for budgetary reasons i don't know oh, um, yeah. I mean, that's an expensive thing to do and it was already an expensive movie i'm not sure um i'm fine with their still uh, it, it, I, i'm not really married to that ending so it's i'm, I'm fine either way the, uh it is definitely a poignant idea to imagine you know this island being bombed out of existence and humanity having to you know wipe out this thing it's created and you do feel for the dinosaurs who are victims even the t-rex like the t-rex isn't doing anything wrong per se it's acting on its nature it's oh, just, the kid literally says that yeah 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 there they, he has this disagreement with his sister where she's like i hate that thing and he's like it's like that thing is doesn't hate you it's just <laughs> acting um it, it is interesting and it's uh and you have um you know this sort of this di- dichotomy um between you know, b- between this concept of, you know, this this uh, this world that's been created for humans by humans. And then, of course, the um, and then, of course, what what ends up happening and, and 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 what that looks like and what does that look like on a large scale? What does it actually look like in the real world? You know, uh, the actual things we do to change the climate directly and indirectly, the actual massive interventions we make. I mean, one one can't help but think of. uh you know, biological interventions we've made in climates like, you know, you know, you think of the example of the Australian cane toad um, where, um, you know, people brought in uh, frogs from across the sea to Australia to take care of um, rodents or, or, or and pests. And now um, the government of Australia has a kill on site order for cane toads because there's so many of them and because they've oh, overwhelmed yeah. the country. You I can mean, literally just walk up to one with a, with a shovel and just wang it and it's perfectly legal. There, there are some counties that will actually pay you by the pound of like turning in dead cane toads. Like they're they're that much of a problem. Are you thinking um, what I'm thinking? Well, uh, I don't know. What am I thinking? I I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking. What's a plane ticket cost to Australia? And, <laughs> and how many cane toads <laughs> does it take? I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, 
but you know, life finds a way, you know, that is true. And that those things survive. And in fact, uh, I was reading that the ones uh, that, that they've actually slightly adapted and evolved in their climate to be more hardy within Australia, which the Australians are not happy about more resistant um, to uh, being hit with shovels. Not that I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure their resistance to shovels is is merely in uh, their numbers. But uh, like their mm. legs, they their legs have grown longer to traverse greater distances because there's so much land that they have to cross to get you know from water to water and things like mm. that. Um, and there's a million and one examples like that. And um, and as we live in you know what we call the Anthropocene, a world that is defined by humanity directly influencing it, and as we discuss things like humans having to intervene in the climate to undo things we've done or to mitigate, um, you know, we have to you know have these considerations. Um, and I don't think, uh, and I'm not going to like just sit here and say, oh well, we should never intervene anywhere, anything. I I, I don't want to be uh, you know, you know, too hard and fast about that. Uh, uh, but it is, it is, you know, worth thinking about these things that spin out of control when people talk about, oh, well, we can take care of, uh, you know, rising temperatures by, you know, pumping, um, um, you like silicate into the air or, uh, or, or this, that, and the other, you know what I'm saying? It, it, oh one, yeah. Well, isn't that, the plot it. Of, uh, isn't, isn't that the plot of Snowpiercer? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but that is a real thing that's being, I mean, the, the, the Gates Foundation is like right now researching how you can cool down temperatures. Um, and like, that's one of the proposed things of, yeah. And it's like, why, why not just pivot to more sustainable, less, less, you know, fossil fuel? Like, yeah, you know, I, again, like it's, I wish this book had been written a little, well, not even, not even anything to do with the book. Right. You know, well, if the book had been written a little later, you would have seen Ian Malcolm engaging with our science now. Sure. Like I would I would literally I would really be intrigued to see how um, Michael Crichton would engage with agroecology. Right. Sure. You know, farm farming and, um, you know, far, farming and um, and managing agriculture in a way that's 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 more harmonious with uh, with, you know, this or that environment that you're that you're that you're planting and herding in right yeah because that's because that's because that's genuinely you know that's the responsible approach to uh interacting with our planet that malcolm would in theory would in theory really endorse right bringing back the things that used to work and keeping the things that currently work but yeah mm -hmm. i mean you know there's obviously moments in this book that are quite funny when they're dealing with technology i mean you have tim go like a touch screen he's blown away by it um you know little things like that that are you know when you read it now it's like oh yeah it, you know it's very much of its time one wonders you know how is it different if it comes out now um you know are they having artificial intelligence oversee the park uh who knows and i know uh you know i guess the closest you can get to that is the the jurassic world films but that's kind of a different thing altogether because that's a to worse me, thing yeah it's, it's much worse thing um i only saw jurassic world the first one but to my memory they genetically engineer a dinosaur to be they do the opposite of what henry Wu suggests in this book he says let's make them less dangerous and oh. for some reason they genetically engineer one that can become invisible god um, and it makes me so angry right sorry so to cut weird. You off because, no. because like yeah. it's there's the one part of jurassic world that i really really liked right because the mm -hmm. rest of the movie was kind of shit but mm -hmm. the one part of jurassic world that i really liked was that um as we know uh, in 1990, it was not uh, it was not understood that dromaeosaurids like uh, like velociraptors, right, were feathered, right. Mm -hmm. That discovery was made between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. So now right. Jurassic World has these uh, feathered dinosaurs, right? Right. And how they and how they kind of uh, finagle it is really is really intriguing, right? Because 
Henry Henry Wu says, yeah, you know, we've we know these um, in the film, he says, we know that people have these certain conceptions of dinosaurs. And so we'll genetically engineer them. Um, we'll work to what people know and what people want and what people expect, because that's just, you know, um, it's it's just going to be easier and the reception's going to be better. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you know what? That's that's actually really uh that's actually that's actually a really cool way to kind of backdate the uh the science and the uh the creativity that went into um uh, Jurassic Park, right? But, yeah, it's both no. an effective retcon and an interesting plot point. And it doesn't even come from Jurassic World. It's lifted directly from this book. Just the context of this book in the context of it happening in Jurassic Park is, you know, Henry's like, look. We need to move to the next patch of dinosaurs, right? And we'll engineer them to be, you know, slower and uh, less able to like uh, coordinate and whatnot, um, just because they're easier to take care of that way. And Hammond's response is, "Well, then the dinosaurs won't be real, right?" Yeah. And we was like, "The dinosaurs are already not real. They're already making educated guesses and you know filling in blanks in uh, in DNA. Like they can be whatever they want them to be, right?" Mm-hmm. Uh, that and that also raises questions of like the concept of what is a reality when you return to things, when you recreate ecosystems, you know, when you do, even when you're doing positive, you know, climate work. Like you think about, uh, you know, uh, reclaiming ecosystems and recreating what it used to be. What is even real anymore in an anthro, you know, an anthropocene age? You know, a, a, that 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 those are interesting questions to wrestle with like mm-hmm. you know you hear things along the lines of like uh cuba has restored its wetlands to like pre-industrial whatever and it's like okay that you know I, maybe i don't know but it is interesting to think about things like that and it'd be like okay well what does that mean you know what does it mean to restore it uh mm-hmm. uh can can a thing even be restored can it even be remade uh does it matter and why does it matter and where does it matter and these are questions that uh you know, are interesting to think about and you see how, and there are questions that we have to actively enter as a society in a world that is changing uh, so rapidly climactically and in a climate way. Um, and we can see how, you know, this sort of warning in this book where it's like, well, you know, you maybe at least want to do that democratically, or you maybe at least want to listen to someone who knows what they're talking about and don't have the, uh, the, the, you know, um, slightly, um, slightly senile eccentric billionaire make the call. Mm-hmm. Oh well, I, I and I wouldn't even call call Hammond senile, right? I think he he revels in you know the uh, the uh, the 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 world that he's creating. You know? Sure, sure, that's fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's um, so yeah. At, at the end of the day, I come out I come out appreciating the book. I'm glad I read it. Um, I I think as just a piece of media, the movie is more effective, um, and more and interesting. Again, and again, it's based on a screenplay, right? He, right. He, I was going to say, it yeah, written, it was written to be adapted. Yeah, that is what I was going to say. That that is the thing, and it is, uh, and it makes a lot more sense when you look at it with that context, you know. Um, I I think, uh, and you know, and, and just overall thinking about the politics of it, it is. I think the way I would call it is, I would say its critique is solid, but it doesn't really, it really doesn't complete the circle, right? It doesn't. Uh, it has a solid critique of capitalism, or at the very least, of this sort of uh, this sort of unregulated super capitalism that was, you know, very much in vogue of the '90s. I mean, it's mm-hmm. all it is still in vogue, but you know, you really see the its heyday under Clinton, um, and uh, you know, and 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 Bush Senior, uh, where this book was written. Um, but you don't quite you you don't quite see the uh, the next step. You don't quite see, okay, what is our solution here? You know, you maybe get hints of it, uh, but you don't see 
a proposed counterexample. And I don't just mean, oh, I'm waiting on him to be socialist. I, he doesn't give any counter idea. It's not just not socialism. It's it's really more of a criticism than it is uh, proposing an answer, which is fine. You know, it does book a novel about dinosaurs doesn't have to give you the answers. Uh, but that is just if I'm analyzing it politically, I think it is much more effective attack on capital than it is a uh, than it is anything else. I don't think it has a counter thesis to its antithesis. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 certainly, you know, it's the conceit of it. I think early on was that like the um, there's this grad student, right, who um, who who figured out the uh, process of creating dinosaurs and then determined, well, what, the, what would this be useful for? Right. It would just be, you know, we, we would basically just use it for entertainments. Right. Is the conclusion that uh, that gets made there. Right. There's only so far that I, that I think this really can go because you, you don't really you don't really derive a um, uh, there's there's not really. There's, there's not really an alternative, as you say. There's not really a use case for this kind of uh, genetic engineering that's hinted at or um, or offered up, like in in contrast. You know, you have Hammond alluding to um, all the uh, you know all the medicines and all the other uh, the other um, um, advances in science that uh, one could invest in, but you know it's. Um, well, and part of it, I think, part of that, I think, is because um, genetic engineering and uh, biotech was still a very new field at that time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know how speculative one could possibly have. Well, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, Asimov speculated wildly in his in his various fields. Like, sure, um, there's plenty think, of speculation that's possible. Yeah, I think it just comes down to what uh, to to what uh, Crichton was aiming for, right? And he wanted to stay relatively grounded, I think, too. Yeah, um, he was a grounded wanna- guy. He didn't want to go too, too far into the future, too unbelievably far. You know, obviously we still haven't created dinosaurs, but like the, you know, the science behind it, if not completely sound, at least is able to sound sound, you know, and that, yeah. that's an important thing. Yeah. And that's, that's, and that's where the, uh, the movie, um, that's where the movie really nails it. Right. Because that, as you said, the Mr. DNA sequence is mm-hmm. perhaps one of the best primers for getting somebody into, uh, into, you know, complex ish, uh, um, you know, complex scientific plot points, right? Yeah. You know, the 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 ability the ability of uh, DNA to survive uh, mosquito digestion, notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah. But you know, imagine if it could. That would be cool. Exactly. There is a company now. I forget that is saying that they're trying to figure out how if to uh, you know, because they've got woolly mammoth DNA, and they mentioned that they might be able to not only bring back the woolly mammoth, but you know, lab grow woolly mammoth meat. So you know. I was oh, reading man. about that the other day. I would eat, um, I would fact, eat a mammoth burger. Yeah, actually, it's probably easier to grow that's meat than to grow a a, a living a living uh, mammoth just based <laughs> on stuff. Uh, yeah, um, lab based mammoth steaks. From, yes, uh, some startup. I forget exactly what it's. I don't remember what the startup is called, but uh, yeah, you know. This, this on, by the way, you. this by the way was recorded before we ate uh, mammoth burgers in 2035 and became were mammoths. So you know, yeah, this is before the uh, the great mammoth, the great mammoth thing. Yes, um, which also happened. Does that happen before or after the uh, toilet paper and bullets as money? Um, it's 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 it, it, it kind of grows organically like a, around the same time. Like it's 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 one of those things that uh, they kind of develop in total isolation from each other. I see. I see. Um, as the sort of as the as the the U.S. dollar hegemony falls, uh, the mammoths rise. Yes. Um, but you know, life finds a way, as mm-hmm. as 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 Ian Malcolm 
would say. Absolutely. Um, all hail the socialist mammoth republic. Oh, all, all, <laughs> all, all hail indeed. Um, so yeah, do you have any other thoughts on this, on this book? Yeah, you know, I one day I will get around to reading um, Lost World, you know, because it's because I love me some uh, Ian Malcolm, right? Uh, and one day, uh, I'll get around to reading a little bit more Crichton. Like, I have you seen Timeline? No, I have not. Timeline's really fun. Like, it's a um, it's a time travel story where a, a team of uh, a, a similar like uh, ar- archaeological team, I believe, gets transported back to the uh, Hundred Years War. And it's really yeah. it's really cool. They have to survive that. There's a there's a villain there that um, that tries to make a name for himself by introducing Greek fire to, yeah. uh, to that my, period. My copy of uh, Jurassic Park actually has uh, a um, ad for Timeline in the back of it. Yeah, it's enough, a fantastic movie. We should we should watch that. And yeah, I'd read Timeline. You know, I would read. Uh, I want to go back and read the Andromeda Strain. Um, Eventually. That guy, Andromeda Strain, ended up getting adapted into a Ridley Scott TV show, interestingly enough, in like 2009. Was it good? Uh, I don't know. I didn't see it. I yeah. like Ridley Scott for the most part, so I, I hope so. Yeah, I'll, so yeah, I'll engage, you know, I'll engage with uh, with more Crichton, certainly. I'll maybe give State of Fear a miss. Like, mm-hmm. it's, do you know what it's about? No, I don't. I just know about the climate controversy around it. So think... Um, Think Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Ministry for the Future, except okay. like the environmentalists are the eco terrorists are not like um, like on our side, right? It's it's just literally about eco terrorists engineering natural disasters. To I know. see, yeah, it's it's so it's, like it's like uh, the conspiracy theories that the like fires last summer were like started by environmentalists, but yeah. like a whole mm-hmm. book. Yeah, I see, I see. Yeah, George W. Bush loved it. Uh, Jim Inhofe, the senator from uh, Oklahoma who described global warming as the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on mankind, he loved the book. Like, mm-hmm. you know, that's the thing. Like, no matter it's – I know Al Gore where... talked about it because I was reading about mm-hmm. the book before we uh, came – or I wasn't reading about the book, but I was reading about the controversies around Crichton. And yes. I know Al Gore commented on the book that he says, I don't go to a uh, – something along the lines of I don't go to uh, – is it I go to a doctor for uh, for a fever, yeah, for, for for a fever, and I don't go to like an, but I would go to like a novelist for like my 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 mm-hmm. science or whatever, which yeah. you know got my criticisms of Al Gore, but that's a good point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no broken uh, clocks and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I don't. Uh, let me let me think. I'm just trying to say I, I don't have any more thoughts on that. We do have a bit of a housekeeping. Uh, if, if you are, if, oh, if you don't have any more yes. thoughts on Jurassic Park. Yeah. So I've, um, so this is going to be my, uh, depending on how the uh, episodes get split up, right? Jurassic Park is me and uh, you, Jacob. And then the next thing that we do is going to, I'm going to be out, uh, for mm-hmm. various uh, health reasons and we're going to have a guest on. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, that, yeah. So stay tuned for that i don't know exactly when that's going to be debuting because i'm i'm not i'm not great at this whole podcasting producing thing um but fortunately i don't have to be because we're just having fun here yeah exactly but uh you know i won't i won't go into details but joss may sound more like a mammoth when he comes back um it's it's possible he may be the first he may be the first person to undergo mammothing well Uh, do you know what like if if that happens, you know, I'll have a lot of extra extra, you know, mass around. I will gladly help you. You, you can gladly help yourself to some of my meat. You know, I will make that Fantastic. sacrifice for you. Fantastic, mammoth. The first, the first mammoth burger. I'm I'm excited. Well, hey, um, 
with that, I guess we're going to sign off. I'll just say, uh, you know, life finds a way and try and keep your systems uh, in check because they, they do be spiraling and out of control. Don't be like Mel. Don't be like uh, Muldoon. Don't drive drunk. Don't drive drunk. Do not. Do not be like him. Be like him in maybe other ways. Not that one. Yeah. All right. Y'all have a good one. Bye. Peace.